Pastor Mark and Suzanne are uh, away in some reflective retreat, a time with the Lord, and so keep them in prayer, and uh, I think that's quality time for our pastors, and uh, quality time for them to be spending time together, time with, with the Lord. Paul and Kim Billman are here. They're in the back. Raise your hand up. Say hi. 26 years ago, my wife and I filled up our U-Haul container and hooked our one car to the back of it from Springfield, Missouri, and drove to Rio, Wisconsin, and they were standing in the Parsonage parking lot or driveway when we pulled in and unloaded our car, and uh, good friends of ours, uh, and all these years of ministry that they've had in Rio Assemblies of God, just north of Madison, has been powerful, uh, both in Rangers and Girls Club, all of these years, generations of boys and girls that have experienced Jesus Christ through those ministries, and it's good that you guys came for a visit. I'm glad you're here. So make sure you meet them after the service. Today we're going to continue our refresh series. It's been going all summer, and we're going to be coming to an end on September 11th. Let me just put a little caveat. If you can be here September 11th, be here on September 11th as we kind of culminate this great experience together as a church. And through this series, our goal has been kind of looking at how that early church really practiced their ministry. What made them tick? What are some things that were themes that we caught? And maybe by looking at those themes, we can look at our own walk with the Lord and say, what are the things that we maybe have drifted from? And what are the ways that we can then adopt the the early church methodologies, themes in our lives, that maybe we can kind of be refreshed in this time? And Acts, I've been surprised as I've read through it over and over and over again. It was a freshman class for me, my first year at, uh, at Bible college. And uh, I learn something new every time I read it. Every time I read those 28 chapters. And, and church, we are the 29th chapter. We are the next chapter in the book of Acts and what God is doing. Today I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to read... All of chapter 3 and part of chapter 4, all 38 verses. I think it's really good for us to hear the context. And I I want us to think back like, you know, for 1,400 years of the church, actually probably more like 1,600 years of the church, the church didn't have access to Bibles. Really what happened was one person sat in the middle of the room, it wasn't a platform, and everybody sat around them and he would read from the manuscript. And nobody, most of that, the, the population was illiterate, so they had to require to, to put it to memory as they listened to the words. So though this is a long pasture, passage, I encourage you to take these moments to just, if you need to close your eyes, unless you fall asleep, uh, close your eyes and just let the stories of the Word of God impact your heart, just like it did the early church for, well... 1,500 years until the first press and 1611 when the King James Version came out. Acts chapter 3, Jesus has uh, ascended into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit. Power has come to do ministry from that point on. The church is growing and expanding. And here we find Peter and John going through an everyday life and God doing something miraculous. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. 
When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Let me read that again for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and he began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar, they had been so often at the, at the beautiful gate that they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Now, if you remember, as we go to verse 12, uh, last week, Pastor Mark was talking about kind of the little sermonettes that went through history through the book of Acts, and they kept reflecting. Here's the beginning of one of those. Peter saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what, what is so amazing about this, and why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus who you handed over and rejected before Pilate, and despite Pilate's decision to release him, you rejected his holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are the witnesses of this fact. Now, exclamation point at the end of that verse. You can kind of catch the, the sarcasm, the attitude in Peter here. Like, hey, you guys played a primary part in killing Jesus. And yet this same Jesus is the one now in his name. He, we're healing Verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before our very eyes. Friends, realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling all that the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, and he must suffer these things. Now, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, just as God promised long ago through the holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to the prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets. You are included in the covenant. God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Here we are, chapter 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, 
they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guards, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that Jesus, there is a a resurrection of the dead, and they arrested them. And since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. That's just men, so we don't know how many women. In just a few days, the church is exploding. Verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? That's important to remember. What a question they would ask among all of these things. By what power and in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state it to all of you and to all people of Israel that he was healed by the name of Jesus Christ. He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The man you crucified by whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it is said, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. A key idea as we read through the book of Acts is this is the generation of declaring the name of Jesus. And we see it in these early days of the church. The name of Jesus becomes everything to their message. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that continues to challenge us and the stories of these bold men who would stand for your name in a culture that constantly pushed back. Lord God, it is our desire to stand for your name, to be your people. Lord God, guide us in these adventures that we are on. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you know we had twins, and uh, we still do, actually, 21 years old. And we didn't know what what we were having, whether it was a boy or a girl. We decided we were going to be surprised, and uh, we were pastoring in Green Bay at the time. And so when you you have, you know, a boy or a girl or two boys and two girls, you have to come up with four names. I mean, how many of you know it's hard to come up with one name for a kid? It's hard to come up with four names for a kid. And so we, we went a long time deciding. Most of you have gone through this process. A long time deciding names, right? And it's things, you know, each of us, Christine and I, each of us had like, you know, names that we just said no, like rejected right off the bat. And she would say, well, how about this name? And I'm like, no, I knew a kid in high school with that name, and I, I just can't do it, right? Because every time I'll look at my child, I'll think of that kid, right? Like, no, I can't do that. Or, or she'll come up with a name, and I'm like, yeah, no, I just can't do that, right? There's some names that are associated with some things in our lives, and so we had gravitated towards some, and others were not so much. And so we came up with two boys named Evan and Ethan, and two girls that was Emma and Eden, 
I don't know how we came up with four E names. That wasn't intentional either, but we came up. And Evan and Emma won the two, you know, number one names. And both of them wish that they, we would have chosen the other names for them, right? I, I don't know what it is about names, but they're, they're significant to us. Right now, the most popular names for girls is Olivia, Emma, Amelia, Ava, and Sophia. We've got a handful of Sophias around here as well. Those are the five girls' names for 2022. Boys, it's Noah. Liam, second place. He's been number one for like five years, right? Liam. Uh, Oliver, Elijah, and Lucas. Names are constantly changing. When's the last time you saw a kid that was named Brenda? You know? You know Brenda. Nice. You know, Brett. Or for that matter, Fred. I need Fred to come back, right? There's not, not enough Freds left over. Or like my, I was with my cousin yesterday, Scott. We don't name our kid Scott anymore. Names, they have this way of changing. And, uh, but names have meaning. And some of us, we choose names because they have some kind of origin meaning. Actually, the name Paul means puny or small, right? Uh, uh, grab onto that and own that. A person's name has significance, and it, it continues today. Names, we hold on to them based upon experiences or based upon meaning. A reference in Hebrew Greek to people's names referred to their reputation or character. And so, so often, when a name was referenced, it was associated with something a parent was hoping for their child or something that they saw in their child. And so often they would wait as, as far as to age five to see what kind of traits were coming out of the kid before you named him, right? So what do you call the kid for five years, right? Boy one, boy two, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, in fact, uh, so much so that names were important, Jesus chose to change people's names as they came to him, right? We saw Simon come to Paul and or Simon to Peter, we saw Saul to Paul. In the Slavic world where Christine and I lived for 17 years, your, your second name, which we would call our middle name, was always associated to your father, and you often didn't even say your last name. And so my father's name is Larry, actually Lawrence, and so my name to many were, was Pav, Pavlo Lorenzovich, right? I was, I was the son of Larry, and it had significance because it affected the whole family, right? My, my reputation, my life would affect my dad because you're son of Larry. And our names have, have a reputation that goes with it. So much so that we have a saying in the world that just says somehow to save your good name, right? That people would know good things by who we are when they say the name Paul Lorenzovich or Paul Piarki, that hopefully there's a good reputation that goes with that. God's name, his character, identity is also bound in that name, so much so that when God placed the name Jesus into that child, when he spoke to his parents of Jesus, to Joseph and Mary, said, His name will be Jesus. It was significant. It had a purpose because the name of Jesus means to deliver and to rescue. From the moment that he was born, he was born with an identity. He was born with a purpose, a name that meant something. And all throughout the book of Acts and in the early church, conflict arose around the name of Jesus. 
partly because of the question whether or not he was the fulfillment of the search for the Messiah for the entire culture. But his name always caused conflict. And his name meant so much to the early church that to preach or to pray or to call upon the name of Jesus often included persecution, stonings, and to some death. We see even in this early church, after this man has been healed in Jesus' name, the church says, whoa, whoa, could you just stop using Jesus' name? Would you just stop doing that? And the temple leaders would say, push that away. Acts 3 that I read, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Acts 4.12, we read, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Also, we would look on into Acts 19, where some are calling the name of Jesus, hoping to push demons out of people that they cared for and loved. So they'd call in the name of Jesus, and the, those people who were demon-possessed turned on him and beat the tar out of him. How I many of you remember that story, right? So... So these are individuals who did not know or have faith in Jesus, but they thought that even the name of Jesus was incantational. You know, if you just say Jesus' name, that's enough. But we know from the healings that just went on at the beginning here that it's not just the name of Jesus. There's a lot of people named Jesus in the world. Maybe we pronounce it Jesus, right? But here we have individuals that were calling on the name of Jesus in faith. And that together made a huge difference. The name of Jesus plus the faith in his identity brings power to our greatest needs. When we call on the name of Jesus by faith, things change. So let's look at all these needs that Jesus comes in for deliverance and for rescuing. First, the name of Jesus and faith in the identity of Jesus is exclusively prepared to meet the greatest needs of mankind. We read it just a moment ago, Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts, or Genesis chapter 3 kind of starts it all. In fact, the first time people started calling on the name of God was in Genesis 3. God the Father, they started calling on God's name in Genesis 3. And this was right after God had expelled Adam and Eve out of the garden. They had sinned, sinned and they were corrupted. And in order for them to, to be rescued, in order for their seed, their future to be delivered, they needed to be pushed out of the garden in that face-to-face presence with the Father. And from that point on, we are waiting and experiencing the the rescuer, the deliverer of Jesus. And from, from the family of Abraham till today, we've experienced God's plan of rescuing us. All the way to, what it's very convenient, Genesis 21. It's like these perfect bookends, right? We have Genesis chapter 3 where, where God is saying, we're pushing you out of the garden so that my plan of deliverance and rescue may happen. And then we see this amazing end point. In Revelations 21, let me read it for you, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now this is what we're hoping for. This is what truly heaven will be like, a new Jerusalem here on earth. Verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We're back to the garden. We're back to being in the presence of the Lord where there's no more death. There's no more sickness. How many of you are ready for that? Right? That's what we're looking forward to. And if somehow modern society has thought you're going to have wings and a harp, it's just not there. Right? But what we do have is we have a new life in Jesus Christ. And, and what that comes in is, is only by him. Exclusively. Jesus is the one that brings us to the place, the culmination of all history, of all time, to be with God where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears. Only through Jesus. Jesus, the deliverer, the one to rescue. In order to to come to Jesus and find really the freedom from sin, the freedom from a life separated from God, the ability to be in that new Jerusalem, it really comes to accepting that there is an enormous problem. From Genesis chapter 3 on, there is an enormous problem. And, and this problem has to do with sin. And sin is foundationally something that God created to be, be beautiful, and the evil one and our own selfish desire has taken what is beautiful and we've twisted it. And what we've twisted God's beautiful creations into are things that harm us, that hurt us. And so God puts down law and says, don't do these things because these are the things that if you twist, they're going to hurt you. They're going to destroy you. And Scripture tells us straight up, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all accepted the twisted beauty that God has made and, and have accepted it into sin. So the things that God made beautiful evil one has twisted. And God said, I don't want you to do those things. But the beauty thing about the law is it, it helps us realize that we need Jesus. We need something to fix us. And Jesus is the only way. So if we accept there's a problem, then we need to accept that Jesus is the only answer to that problem. Romans 10.9 says, If you openly declare Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved. That's an eternal life. It's a new life in him if we look to Jesus. Now, I don't think I'm telling you anything unique when I tell you that the idea of the exclusivity of Jesus as the rescuer for our needs is not a popular idea in our culture. It really isn't. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, he said. That's a hard thing for the culture to accept. I can tell you, even as a pastor, there are times that I kind of cringe under the idea, thinking, well, there's a lot of good people out there. But, but God saw from the start that we needed rescuing from our own problem, and he provided something universally available to all mankind. There's a, an idea that is circulating. It's called the, the mountaintop idea, that God is at the top of the mountain, and our goal is in life to to find the path up the mountain and get to God. 
and, uh, and that Christianity has been a path up to God. And the thing is that uh, what maybe Christians don't understand is they may, other people think that there's other paths up the mountain. Right? So if you go this path or that path, it doesn't really matter as long as you get to the top of the mountain. That is contrary to the claims of Jesus. That's contrary to the, to the claims of the Word of God, where he says there is just one, one way. Mahatma Gandhi, very famous spiritualist, says, if a man reaches the heart of his own religion, he has reached the heart of the others too. There's only one God and there are many paths to him. That's not what the Bible says. And that's hard. Because we know good people who believe otherwise. And how do we deal with the name of Jesus? That is polarizing to our culture. Well, guess what? It was polarizing to the, to the new church as well in the book of Acts. They died rather than to give up the message of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Popularity does not define truth. I'm going to say it again just because I think it's really good. <laughs> Popularity does not define truth. We, we think like it, we feel good ideas come with certain philosophies, right? But just because it's a popular idea does not make it truth. And society is full of popular ideas that are just not truth. And we, just like the early church, are held responsible to hold to these truths. To stand firm on things like the name of Jesus. But here's the other thing that's important for us to remember that uh, nor does belief in this truth bring superiority for us. Just because we know this truth doesn't make us better than other people. Jesus did all the work, right? We were just the poor person who found the bread. God had brought to us the name of Jesus that we might fully come and know him. Jesus is simply offering himself to, to us today and to society. In Jesus' name, There's exclusivity for salvation. It's a hard truth, but it's a real truth. The name of Jesus and faith in the identity of Jesus can heal our bodies today and will heal our bodies for eternity. How many of you are here today and you can say, I would really like to have healing in my body? Raise your hand up, nice and proud. All right, put it up there really high unless your arm hurts. And that's what you need healing for. So look around. Look around at the room. Like, we all would really love some, some healing today. And, and as we look through the life of Jesus and we look through the book of Acts, we see healings happening all the time, right? One after another. The story we read, the beggar, his whole life begging at the gate. And in one moment, in the name of Jesus and the man's faith, Scripture says, He was healed. So where is he today? Where where is we don't we don't know his name, right? We don't know much about him except he'd spent his whole. Where is he today? Well, chances are he passed away, right? Pretty good chance. In fact, if we look through the entire Bible. From, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that there's probably two individuals that probably never died, right? 
that, that's probably it. A guy named Enoch, he said he walked with God and he was no more. No idea what that means, but sounds like a, something we need to aspire towards, right? And then there was another guy named Elijah who a fiery chariot came and picked him up. How do you survive a fiery chariot? I don't know. So we don't know he survived either, but, but these are the only two. Everybody else died. So any healing that's available to us today, guess what? It's temporary, isn't it? It's given for all of us a time to die. But here's the thing. He still does. He still does heal in Jesus' name. As we come with our faith, the sovereign God looks at us and says, I will take your faith, I will take your part, and to some of us, he heals. And in a few minutes, we're going to pray for those of you who raised your hands and said, I'd like healing. And we're just going to say, in Jesus' name, we're going to call out that name and the function of the working of God, guess what, today, may do the miraculous. Because he still does that. He's still active in that way. But here's the thing that is so important that we get, we get kind of sidetracked. And I think pain does it more than anything else. Pain is one of the biggest distractors in life, isn't it? I don't know what it is about pain, but it has a way of kind of undercutting our legs and taking, taking our legs out. I sat with my dad yesterday. We had a Pierke family picnic up in the Green Bay area. And, and I don't know what happened to all these people. They got really old, you know. But I'm sitting with my dad, and as many of you know, my dad has been dealing with Parkinson's for a very long time, and, and just in the last month transitioned to a wheelchair. And, uh, and he looked at me, and he said something to me, he said to me before, he said, Paul, you keep me accountable, I will not complain. It touched my heart, right? God has blessed me so much, I will not complain. Because he recognizes what I think we all know to be true in our hearts as we read the word of God, that maybe we aren't going to always experience the temporary healing that we all want in this life. And maybe the pain doesn't go away because guess what? We're still experiencing the heaviness of sin from Adam on on down into our bodies. But we're all expecting for an eternal healing, aren't we? Man, I got to read these passages from the New Testament because every time I read it, I feel good. Some passages, you kind of like, eh, it's just, eh. this one makes me feel good, right? First Thessalonians 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Guess what, church? We deal with death and eternal things very different. Why? Because we have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring with him the believers who have died. Philippians 3. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. How many of you are, can't wait for that? Right? I'm with you. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Guess what? Our bodies, they're temporary. I, I talked with two or three people already this morning who in the last couple of, couple of months have had major surgery. 
right? And praise God for doctors. How many of you are so thankful for doctors, right? I'm so thankful for God using creative uh, minds and skills in people who can touch with medicine and science and make a difference in our physical bodies. But guess what? They still break down. And we've got more surgery scheduled in the next few weeks. How many of you are getting ready for a major, major surgery? Coming on. All right. A few of you. Yeah. These temporary bodies, we're still praying and believing for healing. But guess what, church? We don't have to mourn like everybody else because in the name of Jesus, there's temporary healing and eternal healing. I don't know what a glorious body looks like. Right? Society may say it, but I have a feeling this might be gone. (laughs) Bless God. (laughs) One more thing that we just can't skip over because it's so overt in the book of Acts that we have to talk about the demonic. We have to talk about the evil one because guess what? The church dealt with it all the time. And just because we don't want to talk about it doesn't mean it wasn't there and still is available and around us all the time. The name of Jesus and faith in the identity of Jesus as the uncreated one offers superior to all other powers and dominions. He was never created, Jesus. He's always been. So all created things are under his control. It's not like there's really a battle going on. There's not like a real warfare because it's not equals at battle against each other, good and evil and conflict. We have the uncreated one, the all-powerful Jesus. His name is uttered and all things run. His power is limitless, changes all things. But the reality is those good things that God created that we twisted, man, do they cause problems. Man, when we sin, we open ourselves up to evil. And if we sin and we don't have Jesus in our life, the demonic can come in. But when we call on the name of Jesus, those demonic things have to leave. John 10.10 puts it this way. In the very words of Jesus, the thieves purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, and my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Evil, the evil one's purpose foundationally is to take away all good things that Jesus wants to provide for you. But here's the thing. When we sin and we live in sin, there's repercussions. I'm so thankful for the life that Jesus forgave in me. I'm thankful that he looks at me. He doesn't even see those sins. But guess what? My sins still have a repercussion. And often those repercussions are heavy, and they can come with things like addiction, or they can come with uh, choices that eventually give some legal apparatus against us. Maybe we have to go to prison or we have to go to jail because we've sinned. Or maybe it's as foundational as we have a private secret life that's contrary to the things of God. And guess what? If nobody knows about it but you, it still has repercussions. It still steals, kills, and destroys. I'm going to read a passage. It's one of those that's not a real popular passage. 
But it is foundationally that God has created something beautiful. Man has twisted it into sin. And he tells us very clearly that we need to stay away from sin. It has a bite. And to keep it close to us, it will bite. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, when, when we've indulged in the twist, when we've indulged in sin, we call on the name of God and say, I am going to step away from that. Pastor Mark hit it right on the head last week. Repentance is all about the about face. It's about leaving those things behind and saying, I'm not going to live that way anymore. That is destruction. That is the work of the evil one to still kill and destroy in my life. And I will call out in the name of Jesus and allow him to cleanse those things from my life and no longer allow those things to kill me, to destroy me, to change me. How many of you have read the book, The Five Love Languages? How many of you? All right. It's really good. It's a good marriage book. Uh, it's, it's a good understanding how we, we both kind of uh, husband and wife look at each other in different ways and accept love and give love in different ways. Um, my wife is a gift giver, right? And I'm quality time. So there's five of them. Have you ever wondered what the love language of God is? It's probably not one of the five. It's just kind of a you know, psych- psychology kind of a thing that helps us along. The love language of God, the way in which God shows us his love is through grace and mercy. God showed his love this way. He sent Jesus. And so every time you call on the name of Jesus, every time you hear the name of Jesus, it's God's resounding voice. I love you. Here's my mercy. Here's my grace. I love you. So, How do we show our love language to God? Because guess what? He doesn't need grace, does he? He doesn't need mercy. Let me read uh, John 14. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Obedience. Is, is our way of showing love back to God. Now, I love worship. I, I think our worship is great this morning, didn't you? It was just like, it was a wonderful presence. We had some great songs that talked about the name of Jesus, so yay, right? But, but the singing of songs is just an expression of love. Scripture says our true love language to God is how we live. It's not saying I'm going to so trust in grace that I'll just do anything I want to. Because that ushers in the one who steals, kills, and destroys. Who takes everything from our lives. Jesus provides an essential function for us. 
He's our rescuer because nobody else can rescue us. Nobody else can deliver us from ourselves. We need Jesus. We need the name of Jesus. We need faith in the name of Jesus. We need faith that God rose him from the dead. We need faith in him so that we can find new life, so that we can find healing today and into eternity, and so that the evil that wants to steal, kill, and destroy our lives can be pushed away in Jesus' name. Something happens when we transition from Jesus' function to Jesus' friend. I think for a big chunk of my life, my relationship with Jesus was Jesus' function. I needed help. I needed rescuing. He was the one for the job. But I'm telling you today, in the words of Jesus, we can be friends. We can have this relationship with Jesus Christ that outweighs my need and moves to a place of just being able to be in his presence and enjoy him. So that the name of Jesus isn't just about power, but it's about my closest friend, about the one who walks with me through everyday life. I'm going to do something I just shouldn't do. I'm going to sing. I can't sing. So what I need is I need those of you who have been around the church a long time to sing with me because you know these songs. If, you're, if you haven't been around the church a long time, these are old songs. So please, those of you who know them, sing with me. Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his lovely name. That's the reason why I love him so, because Jesus is the sweetest name I know. How about this one? Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, After the rain, Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim, kings and kingdoms will all pass away but there's something about that would you stand with me I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up I didn't take a picture but I saw a lot of hands how many of you today you say I'd love to call on the name of Jesus right now where I'm at. I'd love to call on the name of Jesus and experience healing. Raise that hand up again. 
we're going to call in the name of Jesus by faith. We're going to call. Thank you for raising your hand. Okay, maybe you're here today and you can say, put your hands down on the first crowd. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've experienced sin that has had long-term repercussions on my life and it still does today. And the evil one is still stealing and killing and destroying. And I'd like Jesus to come in and give me deliverance and freedom. How many of you today, that's you, raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. How many of you today say, I've, I've known the name of Jesus, I've known the functions of Jesus, and I know a lot of the songs about Jesus, but I don't know if I've ever known Jesus. I don't know if I've ever asked him to save me. I don't know if I've ever called on his name for new life. And you'd like to call on the name of Jesus today. If that's you, raise your hand. Anyone at all? All right. If you've raised your hand up to this point, as long as it's not hurting, I want you to raise it up again. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to start just calling out on the name of Jesus. Just ask him in a quiet voice and a loud voice. I don't care. Be yourself. Call on the name of Jesus and just ask him today, Lord, heal me. Lord, change my life. Lord, transform me. Lord, come into these moments. Peter just reached out his hand to that beggar. I, I don't have any money to give you. But what I'll give you is in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, all across this room, we come with what faith we have. We come with that, that simple part of believing, Jesus, you can do something in my life. And so, Lord, we bring it to you today and we ask in Jesus' name that all across this room, people would be healed in a moment. That all across this room, the weight and the baggage of sin starts falling away. That all across this room, the demonic that comes after families and comes after marriage and comes after our kids would be pushed away in Jesus' name because he's the uncreated one. There's no power that can stand against him. And so, Lord God, we simply come with our simple faith. And Lord, we ask for the function of the uncreated, powerful name of Jesus and we ask that our friend would come and rescue us. And so, Lord God, we call on your name. Hallelujah. Thank you.